often when it comes to a thing like a, a funeral, uh, we have this sort of implied understanding that the more people who turn up, the more significant the life must have been. If we can fill the church up, then we, uh, we think, what a significant person that was. And if only a few people sit in the front rows, we think, oh, isn't that a little bit sad? But of course, numbers are not uh, a definition of success or significance. Michael Green says, as he reflects uh, on this passage, significance cannot be measured in terms of numbers. Just because a large crowd gathers or just because a lot of money is made or just because a high salary is demanded or just because fame and fortune come someone's way doesn't speak at all to significance doesn't speak to the significance of the person, doesn't speak to the significance of the job, doesn't speak to the significance of anything at all, really. And as Jesus is speaking to his disciples today, uh, we see this uh, fact as it relates to the kingdom of God, that as he speaks to those first disciples in the first century, uh, he is reminding them that though what they're doing seems relatively small, relatively insignificant, there's actually a deep and profound thing happening. And so we turn to these parables of small things. First, Jesus talks of the mustard seed. Verses 31 and 32, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and so that the birds come and perch in its branches now as we consider uh, parables it's important that we remember that Jesus is speaking this parable to a specific audience he's speaking it to a small ragtag bunch of uneducated fishermen and outclassed tax collectors uh, and a few uh, perhaps unsavory women who are of no big deal in the world in which they live. Jesus' disciples, they live in a world that is dominated by the Roman Empire, that is filled with pagan religion. The key cities have the big temples which occupy the elites of that society and themselves in Jerusalem, living uh, in a place dominated by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. And these people are the, 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 the people who are control uh, and who are looked up to as bastions of, of traditional Judaism and its many, many hundreds, if not thousands of year history at this point. And in amongst all these grand religions and uh, grand uh, important people, here we have Jesus, the carpenter's son, born in a stable, semi-homeless, with fishermen, basically untrained labor, you know, untrained laborers or something like that to think of today, in today's terms. And Jesus' message to them 
hey team, when God's kingdom is involved, though it might start small, though it might seem insignificant, what is going on when it comes to the kingdom of God is deeply significant. And in fact, Jesus, I think, in the very telling of this parable, is hinting at the significance of what these people are involved in, following this guy around as he teaches and preaches and does miracles. He says uh, at the end of that that, that though it is the smallest of seeds, it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, becomes a tree, and the birds come and perch in its branches, verse 32. And what we see here... I think, is Jesus hinting at what would have been familiar Old Testament imagery. The Bible talks in the Old Testament at various places of the kingdom of God and of God's people being like a tree where the nations would come and find shelter and shade. One of the places that this uh, happens is in Ezekiel chapter 17. Verse 22, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will take a shoot from the very top of the cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it and they will find shelter in the shade of its branches. This is a message the prophet speaks to God's people uh, as they're uh, facing judgment and the promise of a a remnant who will give birth to, to new life, a new growth of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, this is what's happening here today in this small little ragtag group of individuals in the back blocks of nowhere. Though it looks small and insignificant now, this is the thing that God is using. This is, what, this is what God is doing to bring about his kingdom, to fulfill his promises, to be uh, the way he brings all the nations in. God is going to grow his kingdom from this small group of disciples. And the next parable makes a similar point, the parable of the yeast. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus saying, not only uh, will we have an impact and will people come in, but uh, we are going to have an effect on the world. The kingdom of God is not just going to grow and take over, but as it grows, it will impact the world around it. Just as a little bit of yeast in unseen ways impacts the whole dough, so the kingdom of God in unseen ways impacts the world around it. Jesus says to his disciples, from little things, big things grow. Small things, when, a, when they get to work, can have a massive effect. And as we reflect on these parables and the story that's unfolded since they were told, one wonders uh, if uh, parables like this weren't ringing in the disciples' ears on the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit of God came upon uh, these disciples after the resurrection of Jesus... Uh, Peter goes out and preaches. 
And as he preaches and as he finishes preaching, we read this story in Acts 2.40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I wonder if the disciples in that moment as they go from 12 to 50, whatever the number was, they then grow significantly exponentially to 3,000 in the moment after one sermon, if they think, oh, that's right, Jesus said this thing was going to get big quick, but we didn't think it would happen like this. I wonder if they would be tempted to think, well, that's what Jesus must have meant, 3,000 people were going to join us on the day of Pentecost. But of course, the epic growth of the kingdom of God and its uh, influence on the world around it didn't stop at the day of Pentecost, did it? For it has continued for another 2,000 years to grow and grow and grow. Rodney Stark has a fascinating book that I commend to you if you're into history and sociology, which maybe everyone says, oh, it's not it's that fascinating. Uh, it's called The Rise of Christianity. And it shows how the church grew and grew and became the thing that it is today, this world religion, considering it likely started with a guy called Jesus and 12 followers. And it, and it shows how it was possible for the kingdom of God to grow and grow and grow. And today we know that the kingdom of God has not stopped growing, has it? There are billions of people who call themselves Christian. It's easy as we live in our small part of the Western world to think that the kingdom of God is dying, shrinking, retreating. But it's not. The kingdom of God continues to grow and expand and influence the world. In 2010, which is the best statistics I could find, I'm sure some more will come out soon, uh, or with some better Googling, I might be able to get more up-to-date stats. Two billion Christians in the world. And in places like Africa uh, and South Asia, the growth, the growth over the last 100 years alone has been explosive. The kingdom of God is at work in this world, growing, and the people are coming and finding rest in the tree. As we think about our own church, we, should, we can be both encouraged by this parable uh, and uh, we can see how we can uh, outwork this parable in this place. For of course we are but a small ragtag group of individuals in a small suburb of a small city at the bottom of the world. And yet we are part of a deeply significant movement of, of God as he uh, outworks his kingdom throughout the world. And there's a sense in which uh, what we're called to do here is an expression of of these parables, to be a church for Lindisfarne making disciples of Jesus. That is, 
the, as kingdom people in this church, in this place, we're called to be for Lindisfarne. That is, we're called to be like yeast amongst our community, permeating the dough, blessing our community, working for its good in seen and unseen ways. Representatives of the king bringing peace and blessing. As individuals bringing love and care to our neighbours. As a collective body through our different ministries like the little shop and the playgroup. This is an expression I think of the kingdom of God at work in people's lives in the world having an impact, being a church for Lindisfarne. But we want to see it grow too. The kingdom is like a mustard seed that grows where people come and find shelter. As we seek to be representatives of the king here, we seek to make disciples, to be a home for those who need Jesus, to call people to repentance and faith. And we do it in small ways, but we do it knowing we are part of God's ever-growing, ever-powerful kingdom. And so these parables are a reminder that we ought not let our size or our success worry us. For God is king. God's kingdom will expand. And I suspect it was much harder for Jesus' first disciples to believe that than it is for us some 2,000 years later who've seen the work of God grow and grow. Well, as we finish, I want to reflect on two more parables Uh, that we didn't have read, but that come a little later in Matthew 13. And as we do that, I want to invite you to take rest in the kingdom of God. Jesus tells two more small parables in verses 44 to 46. Let me read them to you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Two parables with the same point. There is nothing better than being part of the kingdom of God. There is no greater joy, no greater treasure than to find rest in the branches of the tree that is the kingdom of God. And this is true. If we've understood who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing in the world, then there is nothing more important, nothing more valuable than being part of it ourselves, of denying ourselves, of giving up everything and of seeking to take hold of the gracious gift of being part of the kingdom. There is nothing better than being part of the kingdom of God. You know, I remember when I was 16, hearing a minister tell me, for, uh, and hearing for the first time, though I'm sure I, I had been around it many times before this, but for the first time having it sink in that my sins were forgiven because Jesus had died on the cross for me. Why? I mean, why would I not give up everything I had to take hold of that story because that was all that could bring me to God. I remember being 19 
uh, and uh, the, my first serious relationship uh, broke down. And of course, I was very dramatic as a 19-year-old and my life was over. I was very upset. No, one, no I'm, I'm not lovable. And I can remember sitting on the steps of my house uh, and, and realising afresh that I was indeed deeply lovable. Why would I not give up everything to know the love of God that sustains even through the hardest of times? Or I remember being 27 and hearing God tell me uh, that though uh, I had had some success in uh, previous jobs and uh, ministries, that though I had slaved away for four years uh, and bashed my head against a brick wall and had many ups but mostly downs uh, in this ministry that I was doing as I was seeking to uh, change the world through being the greatest youth pastor there ever was and everything I did, nothing worked and I was very disappointed and very upset and wondering what it was all about. I remember God telling me that my identity wasn't in my success. My identity wasn't in how many people came to my things. It was in God. And his love didn't change. Why wouldn't I give up everything to be part of that kingdom? The kingdom that means my sins are forgiven. The kingdom that means I am loved. The kingdom that means my identity is secure. Why would I not give up everything for that? The kingdom of God is a place where we find rest. The kingdom of God has a message for this world that's going to change it and is changing it and has changed it already. And the kingdom of God is a place where you will find rest for your soul. It is supremely valuable and I encourage you to give up whatever second bests might be trying to win your heart away from Christ and to accept Jesus' message. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Give up all you have and find your life in the kingdom of God. Amen.